You may have noticed tonight that the stars are out. The sky's temporarily cleared and the stars are out. But is the sky a, a different sky because there's not clouds and the stars are visible? Or is it not this continuation of the ever-changing nature of sky? And so it is with our own minds, as we'll see tonight, the temporary nature of everything. So in our practice, sometimes it's cloudy, sometimes it's rainy and very cold or too hot. And other times it's a clear night and the stars are out. It's understandable that we have preference, but to mistake in our preference for a superior state might be worth some further consideration. Last night, Anushka uh, uh, introduced us to the fourth foundation or the fourth establishment and talked about the six sense doors and how we relate to the six sense doors. So tonight, I'm going to be looking at the five aggregates, which is another part of the fourth establishment, the fourth foundation of mindfulness. As a reminder, as we begin this process, a couple of things. One, the invitation to stay embodied, to stay in the body such that you feel anything that is stirred in you. It registers in the body. To stay embodied so that the intuition can be present. When we're up in our heads, harder for intuition to arise. And likewise for the heart qualities. Anything that is recognized from the heart quality, if we're embodied, it resonates. It, it has a, a, a stronger uh, flow to insight, just like with the intuition. So to stay embodied is best one is able. And then the second is this reminder that I've already done a couple of times, which is that the, the, that we are cultivating mindfulness as a means to accessing experience so that we can see the cause of suffering and the end of suffering, just as the Buddha said that was his one thing that he taught. There's other perspectives, many other perspectives, uh, 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 caring perspectives, uh, philosophical perspectives, the nature of learning, and all of these other kinds of, of perspectives, including a lot of speculation. But that's not what the Buddha is teaching us. It's this immediacy of the cause of suffering and the means to the end of suffering, this path to the end of suffering, and this developing of agency, the empowerment that we can choose the suffering that leads to the end of suffering, that we can choose to stay on the path, just as in that poem, that to stay before you leave. And in that regard, I came across in my road material, as I have it labeled, Buddha road material, uh, this cartoon that I had actually uh, forgotten that I had. And it's a cartoon of two dogs 
sitting on their meditation mats and there's a little incense burning in front and there's some candles lit to the side and they have carefully placed their their dog chains right there in front of them very neatly. They're sitting cross-legged and one is saying to the other, the key to meditation is learning to stay. <laughs> so who knew that we that 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 we've been teaching uh, we've been teaching the dogs in our culture the thing that we most need to learn ourselves to stay before we leave to stay what to stay present to stay connected to intention to stay available for the dhamma to do us the key to meditation is learning to stay As I share uh, my own experience with the five aggregates to acknowledge uh, the teachers from which I have uh, learned what little I know and also to uh, remind us as always when we teach, we teach from our experience. And there's a limitation to that because of the amount of ignorance that's present in our experience, unless we're arahants. And there's also this great advantage, because since it's our own experience, we actually are speaking about something we know something about, because we've experienced it. It has this kind of authenticity that can be available to us. But also the limitation, as I said. This being the fourth of the four foundations, to reflect for a moment on the first three of body, of Vedna, of feeling, and of, of mind states. And we can understand in the context of the fourth foundation that these first three name experience for us. We have body experience and we have mind state experience, which includes emotions and the, the, the thinking mind, which we've not covered too much as of yet. But we, so we have this body experience and we have the experience of, of the mind. And each of those are flavored by this Vedna, which we'll learn more about tonight. And so that's our experience. That's the spectrum as the Buddha laid it out. There are other ways that we could lay out experience. But that's the way the Buddha laid it out. And as we see, as we looked at the architecture of the Satipatthana, how beautiful it is, how it's simple in some ways and yet very subtle if we choose to go in. And it all supports one another. Anywhere you start, you can get to all the Dhamma. Any one foundation can lead us to the whole of the realization, as he says in the text. The fourth foundation is a little different, at least in my experience, than these first three. It's not naming what is, it's not leading us to know how to be with what is, but rather it's presenting us with a series of views five views of what is. How five ways at looking at what is. That looking at what is from the sense experience, the sense door experience, 
looking at what is from the aggregate experience, looking at what is from the five hindrances of mind, because we're just seeing like the, the shoemaker sees shoes, right? And the dressmaker dresses. So we can see life from the hindrances. We can see life from the sense doors. We can see life from the aggregates. And then the fourth of the five is seeing them from the awakening factors. And as we see them, we gain certain insight and we gain certain skills from each. So it's always the skill base that's occurring. And as I said in the last talk that I gave, the, 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 we're being uh, conditioned uh, to, to have this deeper realization, this deeper empowerment. And then the fifth of these five views uh, is the right view of the Four Noble Truths. And so you can see the, the, the Four Noble Truths as one more of the five, or as it's uh, so often discussed, as the ultimate. That everything else, including those, those, the first four of the five dhammas, as uh, empowering, leading us to making natural this ability to realize the Four Noble Truths. The full realization of the Four Noble Truths equaling Nibbana, this release, this freedom from greed, hatred, and delusion. So the, 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 five, the five aggregates uh, uh, are presented as material form, which is called rupa, not trying to remember rupa, just that it's so that you're exposed if you've not been before. Material form, feeling, vedna, which you've had lots of experience with now. Cognition, which is sana in Pali. Volitions, which uh, intention is another word for that, or you could say intention is the most important form of the volitions. I was first taught it as mental impressions, this volitions. And we're going to do this over and over again, so don't worry about grabbing hold of it now. And finally, consciousness itself, vinyana. So any moment, any mind moment that we have, any, without exception, in any kind of uh, 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 state, whether it's any kind of state of mind, even if it's a, a jhana state, is made up of these five aggregates. So... A mind moment is not an independent thing. You can't find a singularity within a mind moment. This, uh, this can get into a heady thinking place, but I'm asking you to stay in the intuitive knowing and in the heart space, not getting up in the head. As best I am able, I'm going to talk about things that have a, a certain... Uh, uh, reflective kind of quality, but keep it as immediate and down-to-earth as I can. So that's the first thing, that's the first instruction, is to become aware of these five, these five components, these five aggregates that make up a mind moment of experience. The second part of the instruction is that we are to recognize them as impermanent, individually and together. 
the whole thing is impermanent. It's ever-changing. It's a flow of mind moments. So none is permanent and no one is independent. It's dependent on all five parts being there. Which can be, at first, a little disorienting or maybe a little uh, feeling of, well then what, what is, where's the meaning? But ultimately it turns out to be so freeing, even in our unrealized state. That when we realize we don't have to hold on to all of this, even though we may be holding on, we realize we don't have to, because it's going to change anyway. As we directly know, experience these five aggregates, we directly feel their impermanent nature. It's not a thinking process. It's not logical. It's not going, is that true or not true, and thinking about it. It's the felt experience. It's witnessing it. It's being the wise observer who witnesses this for ourselves. From this uh, meditation practice, this particular meditation practice around the five aggregates, we gain in our skill to be dis- to have detachment and dispassion in regards to all of our experience. Not indifference, not indifference, not indifference, not indifference, but a kind of space around it such that we're not all over it. We're back in the knowing that allows us to have choices to how we relate to the experience. It's not that we don't care and that we fail to relate to the experience. No, we're really mindful. And we, out of our caring nature, we relate wisely. Our caring, so the compassion and the mindfulness together, this, the wisdom, uh, uh, satipanya, mindfulness and wisdom together, satipanya, Panya being wisdom, we relate to our experience, to our mind moments with wisdom and with the karuna, the compassion. It's, it's, it's not just wise, but it's also compassionate. Thus, as Ruth said the other night, the Dharma flies on two wings, the wing of wisdom and the wing of compassion. So, um, sometimes these aggregates, the, uh, the Pali name is khandas, so you'll hear about the five khandas. And sometimes uh, you'll hear about the five personality factors, uh, which is a little confusing. But they, um, they relate, this, these aggregates relate to any memory, any present moment, or thinking about a future moment. Rupa, this equals the material form of these five aggregates. And the, it, that is what is affected by conditions, external conditions, this, this rupa. So there's some, there's some materiality from which uh, contact is arising, and then that contact elicits a feeling, this vedna. And this vedna comes about through the six senses that... Uh, that one of the six sense doors that Anushka took us through last night. That would be the reason uh, we were talking today, Nikki and I, about the particular order of these and like why we, and which is, comes in which order. But uh, the 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 six senses are where 
we get a, a, a vagueness. So one of the senses is registering the contact, and then it's pleasant or unpleasant. And we notice it because it's pleasant or unpleasant. Now sometimes, if the mind's more still, we notice it even though it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant, because our mind is so refined in that moment that we're registering a, a wide array of things. Or it's so pleasant, or so, so, it's so subtle in its pleasantness or unpleasantness that we can register it where ordinarily we would not have. That also happens and people ask about that in, in um, practice discussion meetings. So this, this feelingness uh, of Vedna, it, this is a subjective response. It's subjective. We either like it or don't like it. It's a subjective feeling. And it provides the how that we perceive. So the how is the Vedna, we perceive it. How do we, how do we know that we, that we have a hand? I have a hand moving now, that there's something moving that I'm connected with in my consciousness. I know it because of the feeling sense of it, this Vedna of it. Cognition is related, this, so, so first the contact, then the Vedna, then the cognition. And this is, uh, this is related to the, um, the, the what of experience. We perceive it as something. There's a what of this experience. We've taken some raw data through our nervous system in some way, and with the help of concepts and labels that can often involve memory and associations, we go, oh, you know, this is, this is hearing. This, this is smelling. We, we, we perceive it, we know what it is. We know what, so this is the role of cognition in this moment. And then comes volition. And with, uh, with volition, this gives us, this is our, our, re, our relationship to what's being cognized. It's the relatedness, it's how we relate to it, which we can relate to it in a reactive mind state, just based on the pleasant or unpleasant, we can relate to it in a responsive way, which I would point to as being based on our values or from right view, then right intention in the Eightfold Path, which we haven't gotten to yet, so I'll stay back to values. And, and it's, we relate to it from purposefulness, that there's a, how we, we have a purpose, we have a, we have a, a we want to relate to it because of something we're doing. Like here, we're wanting understanding, we're wanting insight. So we meet a moment with the, for the purpose of having a deepening of our understanding. That's how we're practicing. Reactive mind is the mind that just reacts to pleasant and unpleasant. It wants what's pleasant, it doesn't want what's unpleasant. In one sense, it's like a puppet on the strings. So it's a kind of dance with life, but a very narrow one. And doesn't involve much choice. Responsive mind does not r- respond to its pleasant unpleasantness, but responds from this deeper relationship, this more mature relationship with any moment of experience with this wisdom and this compassion. And because it's more spacious, it's a much richer dance with, with the flow of moment-to-moment experience in that way. The purposefulness is when there is a responsive mind, we are able to uh, we are able to meet it with our intentions. We're really there with our intentions. They're not hazy. We don't forget them. We don't get overwhelmed by just the the, the stimulation of the pleasant or unpleasant to our nervous system. 
And in the purpose, that is where we also, so in this cognition side, we're choosing the worldly, unworldly, we're being aware of one and the other. Come back to that later, but this responsiveness of mind, the difference between that and reactive mind, in reactive mind, you're being, all of us are being defined by what's arising in the moment. We're identifying with it. We have an attachment that's arising in relation to it. We're having a clinging of, of, of to the sense thing, the accepting or rejecting the sense experience, like Ajahn Sumedha talked about in his, his uh, taped talk the other night, or we're wanting to become or wanting not to be in relation to it. That's the reactive mind. The, 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 and, and so it's, it's, we are defined in that moment by our experience. It is defining us. You know, it'd be interesting to guess how many moments we've had today when we got defined by our experience. Be a few. And then the difference, though, with responsive mind is it may characterize this moment. This is unpleasant. It's unpleasant. I don't like this, but it does not define the moment. There is a sense of agency that is larger than just that feeling. Although it is still what is characterizing the moment. And this, is, this proves important as we understand the, the, the five aggregates in relation to dukkha. And next is this consciousness, vijnana. And vijnana is how that, uh, that we are conscious of. So the others are just, so there's vedna, there's just vedna. There's feeling is just feeling. Uh, the, the perception is just perception. This, this cognition is just cognition. But consciousness has this other uh, aspect. It, it's got an ofness. It's got its consciousness of the experience. And it is what provides the cohesion of the moment. This is how we know we're having a moment. It's because this consciousness connects those other four together and makes a moment in this way. When we, like in, in these words, I'm saying words to you right now. It's coming in the ear door. So that's the way it's coming in. That's the contact source. That's the, the rupa. The cognition, the, the cognition is providing the meaning of these words. So you know the words through this cognition aspect of of a, a moment of consciousness. The feeling tone, the Vedna, gives us an affective feeling about it. So you feel positive towards it, negative towards it, eh, not interested one way or the other, it just doesn't register very much. And volition, your volition capacity is either interested in it or ignores it. And it, it, it's the volition that would investigate this or go, hmm, that's interesting, I want to Think about this more. I want to practice this tomorrow. Would it help you if I had them to turn down the... Would you turn down the um, thing a little bit? So, this is, this is these five uh, coming together. And again, I'm going to describe them in other ways so that we get used to them. So give yourself time, space. Don't try to like get this all at once. Just let it settle in. Um... 
there's a there's an analogy that uh, Andrea referred to, I believe, when she introduced the the, the four foundations of mindfulness in Satipatthana, and this idea that the materiality of a moment is like a lump of foam on a river floating through. And that the feeling, the Vedna, is like a, a bubbles that are rising on the surface of the water as, as, it, as it goes on down the stream. And that cognition is, is, uh, creates a kind of uh, uh, illusion about that, that it, it is a perception, the, the cognition perceives, but in and of itself it is creating it is creating a perception that is not by itself reliable. And it's said like it's a mirage. That's the image that she used. And then uh, volition is the, the, where we are, uh, we're, we, we, when we see volition, we see that there is, there is this volition, there is this uh, value, this intention, this uh, kind of uh, purposeful relating, but it doesn't relate back to anything. It is coming because of conditions itself. So that there, as we start to see these things, again, we find more spaciousness around experience. It doesn't get so contracted. It doesn't seem so solid. It opens it up. So um, we, we gradually see that what seems so uh, substantial in the material form is in fact insubstantial we see that, that the feeling tones that, are, that we uh, initially value so much are pretty much impersonal. They're not, they, we have a personal manifestation of these, but it's just pleasant, it's just unpleasant. Pain is just pain. Uh, pleasure is just pleasure. It's not, it's not lasting, it's not, it doesn't have any kind of permanency and it's not relating to, uh, to something that's permanent. It's all arising and passing in this way. And so gradually as we, uh, as we go through this more and more, we start to see something that I'm going to repeat three times here, that the materiality of the moment, the, this rupa of the moment, uh, says where I am. I'm here in this experience. It kind of locates us. The feeling tone says how I am. Oh, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling bad, I'm interested in you know, all of that. The perceiving is, creates a what I am, that the volition says why I am. I am to do this with that. Oh, I want to eat it, I want to defend myself from it. I want to understand it. And the consciousness uh, uh, says the, is the experiencing of it, of, of the... Of the, of, of the experience. So these all go together. The material form, the, the feeling of how, the perceiving of what, the volition of why, and the consciousness of the, of this, of that I, of the I amness of this. Now, as we start to see that every moment is truly made up of, of these, that there's some sort of contact and there's, this, the, there's a feeling tone and then we, we're aware of it and that it's just this whole process of these things. It's just all coming together like the five fingers each moving, you know, making then the fingers of the hand. That we, we, we start to see that uh, a mind moment is not referring back in its momentness to a permanent self. 
that there is a not-self specifically defined as a not-permanent self, a not-unchanging self. It's not referring back to something that is, is, uh, that is permanent and non-changing. And you can only think of, your, of any set, any moment in your life, you can watch five minutes in the dining room and see that everything's always changing. So it's not hard to verify that for ourselves. But in this, we, because we're seeing the parts that make it up, we're getting a chance to, in a way, verify. That's really true. There is perception. There is cognition. There is this Vedna. Oh, these are all there together in a moment. It's really true what the Buddha has said. And then we start to see how that, that moment leads us to go, well, this is mine, or I am, or this is myself. This kind of craving of this is mine, this possessiveness, I am, this sense of building this. I am the one who's, who's feeling restless right now, rather than conditions are defining restlessness. There's a huge difference between thinking we are restless versus, oh, these conditions are creating restlessness. In the first, you really get caught into it. We get, we get pulled in and we get, we get narrowed in our experience. And the other, we, we have a kind of broadness of knowing. But yeah, restlessness is present. We're not denying the restlessness. We're not denying it that it's manifesting in this body-mind. But we're not taking birth in it. We're not taking possession of the experience. It, it, we're, uh, we have a witness of the experience that allows us to move with it, to flow with it. The Buddha thought that this uh, teaching of the five aggregates was so important that he referred to it as the lion's roar. And it is said that it is that the, the direct experience of the five aggregates teaches us what is the cause of dukkha, that this, these identification with the mind moments of the five aggregates is the source of dukkha. They, we have something that's difficult in life and we, we feel it as dukkha because we're taking possession. This is the second noble truth. We cling to it. We, we cling to it. If it's pleasant, if it's unpleasant, we don't want it there and we, we, we resist it being there. So the thirst is to get rid of it. All of this is coming out of our mistaking as something that's permanent that's not. So it's very, if it's ours, it's very hard to let loose of it. But if it's condition-based, just put it down. Just put it down. doesn't mean it goes away. It's still right here, this clock. But I'm not holding on to it. It's the holding on to it. It's the clinging that's the problem. Imagine that for the rest of my life I was going to hold on to this clock this way. That'd be a lot of dukkha, right? How many stories? How many stories do we hold on to? How many memories? How many views? How many attachments to being right? How many uh, anger at body pain or, or uh, feeling sorry for ourselves around the body pain? Not compassionate, but feeling sorry for ourselves. Quite different, the compassion. And so we start to see that, yes, indeed, that this, this is helpful. We've already earlier witnessed this changing nature, but now we're seeing the component parts of it. 
we can we can see that um, that the role of ego is not to be in the center. I am my ego, but that the ego is this very very helpful necessary inner structure of the mind that allows us to function in life and get to uh, be in relationship to, uh, to the end of suffering. Uh, one of the things that I say, yes, we're not our ego, but don't leave home without it. <laughs> because what would we do? So it's not the, the existence of the ego as I, in my own experience with myself and others, but the way that we identify with it, the way we cling to its perceptions that causes the suffering. It creates this I-ness that is what is, is, is pierced by the five aggregates, among other things. So the, 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 uh, uh, the uh, clinging to the ego is a case of mistaken identity. None of this is to say that uh, the, the, the insights around the five aggregates is to lead to passivity. It's not a nihilism. The Buddha was very clear over and over again that he did not teach uh, any kind of a nihilism. So it's not, it's, there's no nihilism in this. One meaning of this is that in daily life, we would fight for what was right. We would stand up for our social justice values. We would be empowered in taking care of the planet. The Buddha walked around as, as someone was saying earlier, as Anushka was saying earlier, for 45 years he got involved in trying to uh, mediate between these two warring clans. He stayed at these villages where Ananda, his attendant, came to him one time and said, you know, we've got to get out of this village. They don't like us. They don't understand us and they don't want us here. And the Buddha said, oh no, Ananda, we've got to stay until they understand. The Buddha was an activist. He was... He was uh, uh, re, he was taking a very different view from the uh, class system that was there at his time, um, and uh, he was so he was quite active in the world because it's so easy when we start to realize, oh, it's really true that the things that I thought were me and mine in this unchanging way, it's it's not true. Well, then what's the meaning? And that is that is a uh, a kind of a false understanding. We uh, uh, we we are freeing ourselves to 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 be more true to ourselves. We're not going into a kind of nothingness. The in um, uh, uh, in one of uh, Ajahn Sumedho's the Venerable Ajahn Sumedho's teachings, he talks about having visited this other Ajahn in Thailand who told him, you know, mindfulness is all you need. You don't need the Vinaya, the rules for uh, nuns and monks. You just don't need them. You just need mindfulness. Mindfulness um, will do it all for you. And so, uh, Samedo dutifully goes back to the Venerable Ajahn Chah and says, you know, Wong Pa, you know, so-and-so just told me that, that we don't need the Vinaya, we just need mindfulness. And Ajahn Chah replied, uh, uh, true but not real, real but not true. That, in fact, if we were all perfectly enlightened people, 
that would be true, that we would just need the mindfulness. However, <laughs> given that we're all not perfectly enlightened, we do need the, the, the Manaya, we do need rules. In the same way for us as lay people, we need the precepts. We need the, the, the sila part of the Eightfold Path. I mention this right here because one of the shadow sides of the, the, of the seeing, the, the arising and passing of moments and their component parts, it can like say, well, if it's all arising and passing, then what does it matter what I do? And just the opposite is true. Seeing the arising and passing points to the poignancy of, of our choosing to, to, to do out of this caring, to live in a way that's a caring way through the precepts, through the sila part of the Eightfold Path. So then how do we, um, how do we work with this? And this, this understanding of the five aggregates, and once it's coming up, how do we, what, what do we do uh, with ourselves? Let's, let's say here on retreat to start with. Let's say that we're having a, a difficult mind moment. Maybe it's about something that's happened here on the retreat. One yogi uh, the other day had a difficult mind moment in which he had been uh, clumsy and not, and he felt clumsy and he'd made a mistake and he was really feeling bad about it. And uh, then he suddenly had this realization, oh, I am not my thoughts. And this whole beating on himself so in shame and all this just lifted because he had that realization, I'm not my thoughts. The thoughts were rising and passing. They were made up of these five aggregates. Very freeing. Once in, uh, that same thing happened in a very dramatic way when I was teaching in a prison program. This, this uh, uh, a student in, in a, a class had that same realization and a very difficult circumstances of, because you've got to protect the self in, in, when, you know, in, in that environment. And but in the middle of a meditation, said out loud in the middle of the meditation, it's really true, I'm not my thoughts. Very heart-stirring moment. So let's suppose instead of something that's happened on the retreat, let's suppose you're thinking about your relationship. Or, but you're here on retreat, you're trying to be here in the moment, but being here in the moment is that you are, what's true in this moment is you're thinking about your relationship or you're thinking about your work life and something difficult about your work life or do you feel, is it secure and you're not feeling secure in it or there's a difficult person at work or a number of difficult persons at work that you could use as your difficult person on the uh, mat of practice and, and you're getting caught in that. So uh, if, we, if we remember Oh, this is a mind moment. We're having a series of mind moments around this memory or this planning or this, uh, you know, fixating on something. Oh, it's just mind moments. And then we, we don't have to go into, there is me practicing and I've got to stop having this mind moment about my work life or my relationship or my health or what I'm going to do when I, when I go back home we don't have to like stop that we don't have to it's not that it has to stop it's as it's how we relate to having it so 
How do you practice? It's, it, if it would go, you would, you'd wish it would go away, but it's not going away right this moment. So how do you practice? As Andrea was saying the other day, you notice how you're being with. So you're back there in, your, in the city you came from, and, you, and you're thinking about all this, and it's really got you in some way. There's grasping around this. And you go, oh, I shouldn't be grasping. It'd be, it would be great if you weren't grasping. But we always start where we are. Usually we emphasize the starting over again, but equally important is starting where you are. How can you practice uh, 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 thinking about something else when, you're, when you, in fact what you're thinking about is your work life or your relationship or your health? And, you know, so some test you've got to take when you get back. That's where you are. We start where we are. So we are present with this. But then rather than going into the narrative of it over and over and over again, the narrative may be running. Well, I could do this, I could do that. If they said this, I said that. I'm not going to, whatever the, the, that narrative uh, bubbling out is going, that foam on the top of the river. We, we relate to it in terms of, oh, so what is this? Okay, there's words and images in this moment. That there's, there's, a, there's cognition in this moment. There's pleasant and unpleasant. Look at how I'm grasping at this. Oh, is there fear or not fear? Um, I, I, there's a certain uncertainty. And it's true. It's true. It's a little uncertain. I don't, I don't know if, I'm going to, if my job is going to last this whole year. So that's, that, that, the, the, the fact of that can be real. But then how are we relating to it? Because this moment of it arising is just an aggregate moment. It's not so solid that we have to become it and hold on to it, push it around or pull it here or whack it down or lift it up. We don't have to do anything to it. It's just a mind moment arising. It's made up of these parts. It's and it may happen over and over again, so we watch it. We watch, this was a moment of it, that was a moment of it, just as an inhale is followed by an exhale, that it doesn't stay the inhale, so every mind moment is followed by another mind moment. No mind moment stays. As we work with this more, we get more and more clear that that's true, that each mind moment comes and goes. If we get too heady, we, we, can, um, we can get removed and not actually be getting the experience. Another cartoon, this is a toaster. A toaster sitting on the counter. And it's very reflective, it's very up in its head, this toaster. It says, when I toast the bagel, does it suffer? I must toast to live. But does that excuse me? And then the third frame is the toast is burning and you see the smoke coming up. And then the toaster says, damn, I burned it again. <laughs> you know, when we think too much about our experience, it's a lot like that. That we get so pulled into our experience that we get burned by it. But this, oh no, it's this aggregate, it's just an aggregate moment. There's space around it. And then this, the, 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 the urge to be here and now in this passing moment, once we understand that the freedom only occurs in this moment, 
It's only when we're here right now that we have any choice as to how we participate. If we're lost in the past or the future or lost in our grabbing of what's, uh, what's uh, happening right now in the body or something, we, 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 we're, not, we're not present. The mindfulness is not there in such a way that we're present. So this is this little cartoon of, uh, called Zitz, which I don't know quite what that is. I just, somebody just gave me this cartoon. But anyway, this man is saying to this woman, my new philosophy is to live in the moment. Good Dharma statement, huh? Here, now. And then he sort of looks up a little and says, unless the moment you know sucks, then I live in some other moment. And the woman says, works for me. But that's not true. It doesn't work. But how often do we do that? We're going to get out of Dodge because we're perceiving the moment as having more substance, more impact, more uh, authority than it is. It's just made up of these five, five aggregates. There's, there's some sort of contact with this, this, this rupa. There's this feeling tone. There's, there, we're cognizing, well, this, we're cognizing something about it. And then we have some sort of uh, response to it or reactivity. And then we're conscious of that whole thing. It, the consciousness wraps it all up into the hand in that way. And that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Just now. Just now. Can we always do that? No. But if we can just gently remind ourselves, oh, mind moments, mind moments, uh, uh, insubstantial mind moments. I start where I am. I start where I am and I respond as best I'm able. As best I'm able. My panya, my wisdom with the mindfulness, my compassion, my karuna, metta with, with this moment. I'll just do as best I can here. I'm really suffering right now. I'm feeling all swept away by this, this fatigue and I'm disappointed that you know yesterday was so good and today's so lousy and da, 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 da. I feel like I'm going backwards now in the retreat. Ah, oh, that's my, that's my p- point of awareness right there. That's my inhale moment. That feeling right now. We know it's just a mind state that's arising these five things, but that's what, okay, how do I be with that? How am I being with that? Do I have any choice how I can be with that? So that we move. And then many times as we are with what's difficult or distracting to us or something, the mind gets calm. The mind gets more uh, pliable and placeable. It will do something we ask it to do. It, will, we, it lets loose of its grasping because it's, it's broken. It's, it's this, the mind itself is not involved in, it's our, uh, how can I say this? The awareness itself is not involved in all of that grasping. It's much more spacious than that. It's the hindrances of mind, the fetters of mind that have distorted the moment. So we'll be with the fetters, we'll be with the hindrances. But it's okay if that's what's here. Don't prefer it. We don't have to object. We cannot prefer and yet not object. About five plus weeks ago, I had a uh, oral surgery to, uh, I lost a tooth and I was going to have an implant and it got, it didn't go well. 
It just didn't go well. So uh, intense pain for of, of the five plus weeks, four of those weeks, really intense pain, really intense. And then also somehow they managed to contaminate. They, they, um, the membrane was uh, pierced and somehow they contaminated the space. So uh, an infection has been there for this, this time. Not a not a regular like sinus infection, but kind that's worthy of more care and concern. Not pleasant. Had to take all of this heavy duty antibiotic that was not. I love a clear mind, and I don't really take pain pills, and I don't take anything that disturbs the mind ordinarily. But this time, out of out of caring, responsible caring, I did this to my mind. In that process, there was a lot of pain. But I did not fall into objecting. This, this dispassion that we practice here, this having a non-attachment, it's like this. That was my experience then this whole time. Now, could I, you might be generalizing for me, oh wow, I want to be like him. Put me on an airplane that's, that's stuck on the tarmac for two hours, filled with objection filled with objection, so mad at the system, uh, complaining about the system, imagining how I could fix the system if they let me be in charge, totally contracting into that moment. We each learn to treat these moments lightly, to remember them as five aggregates, moment is arising and passing, not substantial. We each learn in our own life in different patterns, so different aspects of our life start to be more free than others. We don't like, uh, unless it's us all at once enlightenment, which we won't get into that, as whether we just won't get into that. The, uh, the, 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 there's a, the, the gradual path means that each of us have our own way of getting, of getting free. So maybe you were, had your, uh, you could easily feel um, uh, not good enough. And just, you realize at some point, that is all just a mind moment. It's made up of habits, past conditioning, all of this. It's just a mind moment. And now, you're, you're free of not good enough. You just don't, it, there's a tendency may arise in the mind, but you don't, you don't grab hold of it. There's that Mara telling us, oh, I'm not good enough, you're not good enough. It just arises and passes. You never grab hold of it. That's a mind moment arising and passing that used to really catch us or catch you. And, but then at the same time, um, uh, the, this uh, some sense of someone um, egressing on you in some way like uh, not being respectful or something, I'm not going to take that even if it wasn't true. It was just your perception. We each develop our freedom in our own way. Coming back to this basis of the, of, the, of the aggregates as part of seeing the dukkha, seeing that the dukkha is because we're grabbing, it reminds us and it keeps us going. It's onward leading, forward leading, and knowing that there is, that we can not suffer, we can let loose of, of our, the, our relationship to the dukkha. We can change our relationship to the dukkha of life. So that someone being disrespectful is just another mind moment. That's their actions. That's not our actions. 
Why would we be defined by that? That doesn't mean that we allow ourselves to be run over. Again, this is different than what's our social responsibility, what's our social manifestation in our culture, in our communities. Different things. This is the inner state from which we act. The inter, inter, inside ourselves. What the inner experience is. And then we make our way in the world. I hope this is clear, that difference in that way. Is it? Is it somewhat clear? So, uh, uh, end with uh, something from uh, the Venerable Samedo here. The aim of Buddhist meditation is to let go of the conditions of the mind. This doesn't mean denying, getting rid of, or judging them. It means not believing them or following them. Instead, we listen to them as dhamma, as conditions of the mind that arise and cease. We learn to trust in just being the listener, the watcher, with an attitude of awakened, attentive awareness. This is the dispassion that can arise from understanding the five aggregates, particularly in combination with the six sense doors. It's a dispassion. It's a non-attachment. We we're perceiving we're perceiving mind moments. We're like we're not we're not we're going beneath the surface of them to see. Or something else that that does for us. And this has this heart quality to it. When we can stay present, stand under, as the Venerable Sumedho says, dukkha, the knowing of dukkha, it gives us this dignity that I've pointed to time and again. It gives us a kind of um, here I amness. I, this, uh, there's this sense of presence. The mindfulness uh, goes beyond just being present to a sense of presence. Then the presence is about something. It does have pers- purposiveness. It has intentionality. I intend to be present for this moment and interact with this moment, which I know is an arising, passing moment, in the way that most reflects what I deeply care about. If it doesn't go well, I am not demolished by that because I wasn't trying to result. I was being. So I was being my my deepest manifestation that was available to me in this moment. That, That both gives dignity to this moment and connects one moment to the next because there is this intentionality that becomes the thread of one moment to another. And we're resting not just in the awareness, but in the sense of intentionality, this uh, Sama Samkapa, the second and the Eightfold Path. And that, that enhances this sense of dignity. And that the more we have this sense of dignity, this sense of here-ness, here, now, the more we give it to others. And the more we will fight for others to have it the more we create an atmosphere where it's not okay for anybody to have their dignity taken away. We're holding the space in a certain way. I am not exaggerating that at all. And if you want to see it easily, 
when you're not on retreat, but you're around a group of people who are gossiping and you don't go along with that gossiping, when people are, you know, someone, they're talking about someone they know behind that person's back and you don't hold that that way, it's very hard for them to go on. It just, it changes it. In many different situations, uh, inappropriate language, inappropriate behavior, your presence and you're holding it in a different way Maybe not all at once if you don't say anything, but you just hold it, and you're holding it in a small situation like that can make a difference in terms of a large pattern, then we have to organize for that. So this, as we find our dignity here on retreat, in relation to this moment, it's not some big concept. It's just here now. It's not a, uh, it's not a construction of the mind it's, an, it's a direct experience. This moment is made up of this aggregate. It's arising and passing. But I can over and over again choose and condition and develop new habits of how I will relate to every one of these passing moments. And again, any subject that's in your mind can be worked with. You don't have to get rid of that subject to get some new subject. That is, that is wise practice. That's skillful practice really wanting to let this settle into the room. Because uh, I have just various things I hear in terms of sometimes like, oh, I'm trying to push that away. As, as the tomato said, we're not pushing things away. We're not getting rid of seeing them as mind moments. Let's sit for a second or two. mental aggregates of feeling, of, cogni of cognition, of volition, of consciousness, all interacting with the material, arising and passing here, now. Thank you for your kind attention, time for walking, and uh, always the invitation to come back for the last sit and the chanting. And also, uh, fine to come back later, after the last sit, to sit for, uh, on your own, or also to sit the last sit and continue sitting as we're in the heart of the retreat and the momentum is there now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.